It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. Film lovers, and welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msoci at WFYI.org. Also on Facebook, also on Twitter at Matthew Soci. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go into the archives and play a couple of uh, fairly recent, well, something fairly recent, and then uh, just into the old interview archives for uh, for our show this week. Uh, life has the way of getting in the way of things sometimes, but I do want to point out, opening in theaters this weekend, uh, the I believe the final installment of the Divergent series, Allegiant, as well as the films Miracles from Heaven, King of Cups, that's the new Terrence Malick film starring Christian Bale, uh, The Bronze, the, uh, of, uh, what is, would be described as a body comedy about a, a third-place uh, Olympic gymnast who is still trying to maintain her celebrity status in her hometown. That stars Melissa Rauch, for you fans of The Big Bang Theory. And the latest film from Studio Ghibli, only yesterday, also in theaters. And it's available dubbed and subtitled, um, I, you know which one I w- would prefer you go see first. New on DVD and Blu-ray this week, a big, big week if you are uh, fr- fans of the Academy Award winners and nominees. Uh, the big title this year's uh, Best Adapted Screenplay winner, The Big Short. Of course, uh, great performances from Christian Bale, Brad Pitt, Steve Carell, um, Margot Robbie, of course, <laughs> uh, Ryan Gosling. A great telling of the financial collapse here in 2008. Brooklyn, the wonderful film starring Sasha Ronan, um, which... Uh, Thankfully, got a Best Picture nomination and became a recognized beautiful film. Made my top ten. Carol, the 1950s melodrama with uh, Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, both receiving Academy Award nominations, uh, as well as well as a shifting in gears. You have Sisters, the collaboration between Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Um, yeah, it was all right. And then you have Alvin and the Chipmunks Road Chip. Moving on, uh, Criterion has in their uh, collection, finally, the John Frankenheimer fantastic political thriller ahead of its time. And uh, glad it's getting the Criterion treatment. The Manchurian Candidate with Lawrence Harvey, everyone's favorite cinematic mom, uh, Angela Lansbury, Frank Sinatra, Janet Leigh as well. All right, uh, we're going to dip into my recent interview with, yes, with Robert Irvine of Food Network fame. His uh, show... 
Restaurant Impossible Ambush is now heard seen Wednesday nights on Food Network. And, of course, he's still a part of All-Star Academy, which you can check out Sunday evenings on Food Network. Here's my uh, 2016 chat with Chef Robert Irvine. Joining me on Film Sociology is a guest who's all too familiar with the show, and he keeps coming back, and we really appreciate it. From Food Network, Robert Irvine. How are you, Chef? What's up, young man? <laughs> Younger than you, that's about it. No, uh, you have a... Oh! <laughs> yeah, but you're you're taller and more dashing. I just have more hair. That's about it. Uh, my wife says that. Yeah. Uh, he's got a new challenge Sunday night, starting Sunday night at 10 o'clock, a great way to send Valentine's Day, but All-Star Academy is on. Tell, tell the folks about your new challenge on TV. Well, it's kind of an interesting <coughs> excuse me, show. Uh, it's just in the second season, but this year there's a lot of changes. Obviously, uh, myself, Alex Gunnar-Shelley, I'm Seth Gunnar-Shelley, uh, Curtis Stone, and um, Andrew Zimmern. Great friends, but during this... Um, uh, adversary, shall we say? Uh huh. And, and we have to teach um, home cooks how to cook in a very short amount of time, uh, competition style. The winner making fifty thousand dollars if they make it to the end. Uh, a lot of twists and turns in there. A lot of simple ingredients and uh, not a lot of time. And uh, I know this will be a slightly easier than your, your stint on Worst Cooks as far as people who know what to do around the kitchen. Uh, what kind of strategy uh, can you tell us that uh, you, you use to approach it with uh, All-Star Academy? Well, it's interesting because you really can't create a strategy. Um, it's simple. You have professors, guest professors that give the challenges, and you literally have five minutes to peruse a pantry, talk to the your 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 mentee, mentor, uh-huh. mentee, sorry, talk to them and say, well, I would do this. And bear in mind, you don't know the level of skill they have. And with a 30-minute challenge, five minutes to see what's in the pantry and come up with a dish. Um, it's intense, i got to tell you. It's probably it's more intense to me than Iron Chef or Worst Cooks or even Chops. Wow. Uh, what do you... Because you can't taste the food. Oh, you're just, right. You're on a... On a uh, on a on a gantry or a, a platform, telling them what you think they should do. <laughs> now, do they st- will they still have the thing where you, if they press the button, you can go down and help for like a minute? Yeah, we have a um, a minute um, save button, um, but uh, you know that's really not a lot of time when you're dealing with people. And over the you know the, the full course of the series, you get to know you, they get to know your style, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and. You, it's really about having them buy into to the foods that they like to create and what represents them, but with the techniques that you're teaching them. Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> what do you think you bring as a mentor compared to your competitors? Um, <laughs> what do I bring as a mentor? Uh, intensity. Um, sometimes fear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of knowledge. You know, all the chefs have a lot of knowledge, and we're all different for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, we, all, we all come from different walks of life, and I think um, there's some great chefs, but at the end of the day, I have a very different take on food than they do. Right. Can you uh, can you give us a preview of some of the challenges we're going to be able to see on Sunday nights? Well, I can tell you the first one sure. is uh, a lunchbox um, that you would normally send your kids to, to school with. Uh, and in that lunchbox, the competitors have to create the best meal they can create. And I'm talking with a slice of ham, piece of cheese, 
et cetera, et cetera, and Apple. Um, and at that point, it kind of takes a twist because instead of us picking the people or the contestants, the contestants actually pick their mentor. Oh. So it's very cool. All right. There's a lot of things you do not see coming, including me saying that. Uh, you never know what's happening at that point in time. Excellent. And it runs how many weeks? It runs, I think, eight weeks <coughs> total. Say it again. I think it's eight weeks total. Okay, and that's uh, Sunday nights at ten o'clock Eastern on Food Network. Um, it's just—I think this is another competitive feather in your cap, Chef. Well, it's kind of interesting, and I really enjoyed working with—and uh, I mean this sincerely—Andrew Zimmerman, who's a true gentleman. Uh, Alex, which I've worked with many, many times before, and Curtis, which uh, I've never worked with. So um, it was just a great group of people um, trying to make their their folks better. When you when you work with people that are about other people and not themselves, it makes a big difference when you, you go to work every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is uh, shifting gears a little bit, Robert? What does the rest of uh, 2016 look like for you? Oh, 2016 is crazy. Um, <clears throat> we've got uh, just about five, I think, four episodes left in season 13 of Restaurant Impossible, and we'll see where that goes. Um, I've got, from a business standpoint, in April opening up the Pentagon restaurant. We've got a new restaurant going into Las Vegas. Uh, we are taking over an awful lot of stuff with the Army um, and Marines, um, bases, uh, gymnasiums. Uh, just an awful lot. The food line has gone crazy. Uh, we just launched a new flavor in the protein bars, Fit Elites and Fit Crunch uh, birthday cake. Um, and we're looking on, you know, lemon pound cake. Uh, bars and all these other things that they're doing. Wait, 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 uh, wait, wait line. a minute. Wait a minute. A, a birthday cake protein bar? Yes. And it's uh, Fit Crunch protein bars already out, but we're just about to launch uh, Fit Elite. In fact, Gail had the first ones this week that I let her try, um, and she loved them. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Um, <laughs> bearing in mind that Fit Crunch is, you know, the six layer bar, and Fit Elite is the um, 22 grams of protein, 15 grams of fiber, 2 grams of sugar. But tastes amazing. So a lot on the R&D stuff there. Um, April, we'll be doing the uh, Medal of Honor dinner with Darius and East and Walmart in uh, Bentonville. Big concert and dinner there to, to raise funds and awareness for the Medal of Honor Society. And uh, we'll probably do another six visits, USO tours this year. Uh, we are going to Iraq. Um, we'll be in Iraq. We'll be in Spain. And we will be in... Um, Syria. Um, so there's just a few of the things that are happening right now. Last week we were the 101st Airborne Division, um, working out and uh, feeding and uh, having a lot of fun. So and obviously the military is a huge part of what we do. This weekend just passed. Uh, we were guys in East at San Diego made the Medical Center feeding 7,000 people. And uh, last night I was doing an event here in California, which was... Um, for uh, Loma Linda Hospital, which is uh, a cancer hospital for kids. Uh, so they did a uh, flew in yesterday afternoon, then on a helicopter to the uh, hospital, went to visit all the kids that are under treatment right now, which is, you know, both heartbreaking and uh, uplifting at the same time. Changed, made smoothies, fresh fruit smoothies, and, and had some fun. And then last night, we uh, did a dinner with 1,100 people to raise money for that hospital. Excellent. So uh, a lot more of that, a lot more giving back. 
Um, you know, I, I truly believe that God puts me on the planet for a reason. That's the health of it. So that's what 2016, the rest I've looked at. Well, it's, it sounds like it's very busy now. I know you have 2016 all planned. Are you ready for Sunday? Am I ready for Sunday? Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of smack talk going on right now, but, you know, <laughs> I've got the secret weapon. I've got Gail Kim in my son. <laughs> so, and it's funny because Alex is, Alex is friendly with Gail, but when Gail talks about her husband, she gets scared. <laughs> well, I, I, I know you were talking about All-Star Academy. I was talking about Valentine's Day, husband. Oh, Valentine's Day. <laughs> I was talking about All-Star Academy. I know, I you know. know. Valentine's so... every day. If you, just, if you just saw Gail and I, I just posted a picture on Twitter. <laughs> we had breakfast in the courtyard of the Mission Inn. You should check it out. I that will. Like, we have Valentine's every day. Yeah, no, that's good. Now, yeah, why save it for just one day out of the year? Um, but yeah. it's funny. People think that, you know, I People say, I'm going to live one day in Robert Irvine's life. Um, you're more than welcome to live a day in my life, but you'll be working brothers for the rest of your life. <laughs> the downtime that we do get, Gail and I, um, is back to so the gym. We're on our way to uh, L.A. right now. Gail's working tomorrow, so we'll get, we'll get there. We'll get a chance to get in the gym and uh, then have dinner. Then she goes to work. And then we're ready eyeing out to uh, Philadelphia tonight. Uh, same day, I Oh wow! Well, my my uh, wife's it's always go. My wife's birthday is February the twelfth, so it's double duty this weekend. Uh yes, very nice. So you make sure you breakfast in bed and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I, well, I'll do my best breakfast wise. So I'll try not to text you if I'm in a kitchen crisis. So the Emma, the Emma cook breakfast. Yes, yeah, she's she's my, my yeah my sous chef who occasionally takes charge from time to time. It, it, what do you mean occasionally? All right, all I the know, time. I know who's in charge. Yeah. Yes, I'm the third. I'm the third smartest person in my house. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> but but you you know as a dad, there are times when you have a strong, independent teenage child daughter until daddy needs the help open a jar or kill a bug that's in the room. Yes, I've got two of them. One's going to Annalise's University of Central Florida, studying pediatric uh, um, uh, speech pathology. And Talia, my 14-year-old, is uh, going off 38 and wants to be, you know, like a dad. So, yes, <laughs> you're right. They're all tough until they need you to open something or they need you to buy something. Or laundry. <laughs> oh, laundry, yes. They love doing laundry. They've been doing laundry since they were kids, believe it or not. Wow. Something I... that uh, is believed in is, is teaching how to cook, teaching how to uh, clean, wash, mm-hmm. laundry, fast the clothes, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, Emma. Emma can marinate. She can chop. Uh, we're working on the laundry and dishes skills. It's okay. It's a, it's all a process. <laughs> They'll all come one at a time. Exactly. All right. Switching gears a little bit. I know you're you've, you're you're on the road constantly, but have you been uh, been able to watch any movies lately? Since this is the film show, I just watched uh, on the plane. Burn. I watched another one. Um, what else did we watch? Then? Movies. Well, we, I've watched a lot of movies. I just can't remember the name. That's the scary thing. I did watch Burnt on the way here. Um, I'm uh, heavily into right now. Um, I watched the Black Mass, Ma- Black Mass uh, with Johnny Depp. I thought it was yep. really good. Yep. Oh, 99 Houses. Have you oh seen that? yes, yeah, really. I really like that. That's a. And then obviously, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, I mean, Ninety Nine Houses just came out on DVD and Blu-ray this week, and I know you're you're you have you have ties with Florida, but yeah, it's a Faust story. If you said it instead of the devil, it's a gentleman who who flips houses and flips properties for a living. Yeah, I mean, duh. and it's so funny because then we watched the short, the big short. Yep, the big short, which I thought was uh, pretty awesome too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and you think of the big short and then 99 houses, it kind of goes hand in hand. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's a double feature. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, Dale and I, and you know this, because of friends a long time, we, we pretty much only watch movies on our day off and work out and eat. So, um Trying to think what else we've seen. Well, it's funny you mentioned you mentioned the Big Short. One of the smartest things about that film is the fact that they use those moments when it feel like it's going to be too complicated, and then they bring in somebody like Selena Gomez or Anthony Bourdain or Margot Robbie to explain the technical aspects of the finance world. Yeah, yeah I thought the, the Bourdain piece was really good. Yeah, actually. I didn't I, I didn't expect that to be honest with you. Right, and, um, but I really like the the premise of the movie because it's real. Anything that's real life, mm-hmm. you can, you can, or as, as real as Hollywood can get it, let's put it that way. Right. I would say, how, um, how did, how, uh, how did Burnt capture it as far as uh, relationships in the kitchen? Um, I think they caught it pretty well. I just, you know, Bradley Cooper is an amazing actor, but I don't think he fit that role. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's so funny because I just watched that, and then obviously another three-star Michelin chef uh, committed suicide last week. Yeah, um, and it and it kind of portrays that in the movie that when he gets drunk and he thought the critics were there and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm so glad I don't live that life of of waiting what people think of food, you know? Mm-hmm. Just they live and die by that. Uh, yeah, I think. And it, I think, yeah, the dynamics between the chef and everybody else in the kitchen, and I, I think they captured that pretty well. I mean, we've if you've watched enough cooking television, you've seen this character, and we can say who it may or may not be based out of. But, yeah, there there are some chefs that do kind of treat it like life or death. Yeah, uh, especially when the, the Midland stars are involved. Right. Um, it, it's like, the, the, remember, a lot, of, a lot of chefs in that level don't do what I do. They don't do. They just focus on the best plate of food every day of their life. Um, that's what they live for. Um, I on the other hand believe in living for other things, and um, not there's any less or, or any more. But um, yeah, the movie was good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one, I, I, and I will not remember the name, but Cicero. Cicero. Oh, Sicario. Sicario. Yeah. See, I knew you would get it. <laughs> um, Emily Blunt. Yep. Gale's, I love Gail because Gail tells me everybody that's in it. I just watch the movies and like the stories. And Gail's like, nope, that's Emily Blunt. That, that was such one. That's why she's such an awesome wife. Yes, she is. Not only for that, but. Well, among uh, other things, yeah. I like that one, too. Yeah, it was that that kind of the further she got into the investigation, the more complicated, the more, you know, the deeper in trouble everything became. But again, but again, here's the thing. And, the more realistic the movie is, or based on real life as much as it can be, and that you can see, mm-hmm. and that's that's the important part of movies. You know, uh, Hollywood takes a little bit of uh, you know. Hello. Classic. <laughs> uh, you're you're cutting out a little bit. Hold on. I can hear you. Okay. Uh, try. Um, say it again, please. I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. So. Um, Hollywood puts a little bit of, you know, the uh, 
the glitz and glamour in there. But as long as the story is relatable, we love we love those type of stories. Mm-hmm. So, so that's how I, that's why I go to the movies. Gives me two hours of escapism from everything I'm doing. Um, and one of my all-time favorite movies was The Town. Ah, uh-huh, yeah. You know, because you can see that actually happen. You, you, you happening. You you can relate to those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I've watched that movie about 250 times. Then. It's, you know, and, and he captured, he captures that world. That I mean, it's funny you're watching Black Mass because it's such a mixture of people. Um, you have a- actors from England and Australia and, of course, the United States capturing that specific Boston world at that particular time. And the town does that as well. Yeah. What what movies? Is, I know because you send me movies to watch all the time. What have you watched lately? <laughs> well, I just—it's funny. That my next question was going to be: Are you and Gail going to see Deadpool, which opens this weekend? Uh, we haven't planned to. Because um, it's you know it's Ryan Reynolds and it's a uh, it's it's a kind of a it's an R-rated superhero movie. It kind of makes fun of the other superhero movies. Um, it is it is kind of over the top when it comes to its action. To its it's it's a fairly violent film, but. It does poke fun of, like, Ryan Reynolds, of course, uh, was in Green Lantern, and they make fun of the fact that that film didn't do well, and it's because it's 20th Century Fox. They have these kind of playful digs on X-Men and and a couple other films, but there's a lot of breaking of the fourth wall. I mean, there's a lot of Deadpool issuing, uh, addressing the camera. So, I mean, it's it's kind of a grown-up action movie if you're into the superhero films. Well, I like like that they break the fourth wall and they make fun of themselves, so... I do like that. I think the viewer wants to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've done in Restaurant Puzzle are the same type of thing. So, um, I should, I, well, we're going to look at that. Yeah, check into that. Let's uh, look at that. Yeah, that just opened this weekend. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, of course, I'm in Academy Awards mode because that's at the end of the month. We just got a film that opened in town last week that I loved called 45 Years with uh, Charlotte Rampling and Tom Courtney. It's a, it's a very intimate but pretty intense drama about a, a long-time marriage that's falling apart. Now, I wouldn't recommend it for this weekend because it's Valentine's Day weekend, but, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it'll be uh, married falling apart on Valentine's weekend. No, no not at all. But, you know, my favorite, my favorite film of last year, and it's still in theaters is a spotlight oh i've seen it loved it yep i loved it yeah speaking that's another one i've seen so i can tell you the, the catholic priest yep yep oh um, yeah love i love that um again relatable you know we can actually relate to that movie that's why it was a good movie mm-hmm. i i also uh, wonder have you seen uh, have you seen the revenant the Rev- no i have not because uh, there, there are times watching that with DiCaprio. I mean, it, it feels like not so much a, an acting performance, but an endurance test. And you being the physical guy that you are, I'd, I'd love to see your take on it sometime. Oh, well, that's going to be on my list. I have on my phone The Martian. Yep. Um, ready to watch on a plane on the way home on Saturday. Um, but I will look at Revenant. Yeah, I think uh, the, the, if you if you get a chance, the Revenant, and if it's still around, the Hateful Eight. If you can see those on a big screen, that's that's definitely worth checking yeah. out. Okay. So right, that's my uh, that's my next list then. That's why I'm here, among other things. Um, hey, we the, the show is now uh, my show is now on a new time, so I have to ask, what is your favorite brunch item? A favorite brunch item is probably um, I would have to say eggs Benedict. Mm-hmm. But with smoked salmon. Oh yeah, 
Um, I always have the uh, the uh, sauce on the side so I can put a little bit on because I don't go crazy. Right. But I just think the smokiness of the salmon, the uh, cleanness of the egg yolk, little sauce uh, with the buttery, you know, it, I, it just kind of, but here's the key to this. The muffin has to be really toasted well. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it gets soft and soggy. So I guess they, I know they're called English muffins here. Are they called anything else overseas, or are they available overseas? They're available overseas. We don't we don't um, call them anything different. Okay, just wondered. Um, oh, and I, I remember the last time we talked because I was I was at the time I was doing a play, the play uh, William Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus. Did you ever figure out how to prepare Chiron and Demetrius? No. <laughs> <laughs> just, just. Well, I did figure out how to jump out of a plane at 800 feet and still land at the end. I'll take your word. I'm going to take your word on that one. Uh, you got so, me there. <laughs> I tell you I what. Didn't get the thespian part, but I got, I got the the hardliner approach. I tell you what. I'll recite Shakespeare. You jump out of the planes. That'll that'll make a good film. <laughs> no, I can take it. And you can do it. You know, you you want to jump out of a plane anytime. I got you. I adore you, sir, but I, I, I'm afraid it will be very messy and screamy on my part. No, screamy's okay because nobody can hear you when you're up there. <laughs> Are you kidding? My you land, that's the fun part. Oh, great. And it's funny because Gail, Gail said to me, uh, I, I don't want to do that. And all of a sudden when she did do it, she's like, well, that's nothing. Skydiving. <laughs> that's nothing. That's easy. Um, well... I will again. I will take your word for that one, Chef. <laughs> All right, guys. I know you got a busy weekend ahead of you, but I really appreciate the time. Don't forget All Star Academy Saturday nights at ten o'clock Eastern on Food Network. Give my best to your ladies, sir, and I will be in touch one way or another. Uh, all right, appreciate it, Matt. And listen to all you listeners out there. Matt Sosky knows exactly what he's talking about. So listen up, otherwise I will find you. Wow, that's I. I will take things my family has never said for eight hundred, Robert. That was great. There you go. All right. All right. Hey, have, stay to you, buddy. Have a great weekend, just the wife and uh, and then I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. 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 From earlier this year, my chat with Food Network's chef Robert Irvine. You can see his show, Restaurant Impossible Ambush, Wednesday evenings on Food Network. And, of course, he's still a part of All-Star Academy, which is Sunday evenings on Food Network. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back after the break, uh, we dip once more into the archives with the classic interview that Joe Shearer and I were discussing on last week's program. Um, it's, it's the show that it's the person who made the show real. It's like the Velveteen Rabbit or Pinocchio. So anyway, stick around. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org.
this is Elmore Leonard. I'm I'm listening to Film Sociology, and and uh, it it's a real program. It's great. Welcome back to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at org. also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. Yes, the voice you just heard, the late, great Elmore Leonard, who dubbed this show a real show, and I'm eternally grateful for him because of that. Uh, on last week's show, we Joe Shear and I were discussing our own interviews with Elmore Leonard, so we're going to go back to 2011, and uh, this was my chat with the great writer Elmore Leonard. Joining me on Film Sociology is a writer that makes me proud to be a writer who grew up in Michigan, Elmore Leonard. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you. Just writing a, a book. What, yeah, what are, you, what are you working on right now? Well, I'm writing a book based, sort of based, well, it's a Raylan book, Raylan Who's Injustified. Mm-hmm. I've already written two books that he stars in, so I thought, what the heck, well, uh, well Justified is running. I might as well write another one, <laughs> and uh, maybe they can use some of it, which which they are going to do a little bit here and there. But it's a but it's it's a it's a novel. It's not really based on anything that they're doing on the show. Have you enjoyed the show so far? Uh, I think it's great. I it's so amazing that it it seems so uh, lifelike. It's so realistic the way they talk. They uh, I can't believe it. Well, the source doesn't fall too far from the tree, sir. Well, they they, they do they did wear those little bracelets that said, "Well, what would Elmore do?" <laughs> you know, that was nice. That right. Was, that was kind of. Now, now, when you're creating characters, do you know ones it, whether you're writing or when you finish that you know you're going to use again in in future books? No, no, never. But uh, at least I don't think about it. Okay. But, uh, but I'll see, for example, I'll see a photograph in the newspaper, a couple of uh, marshals standing in front of the federal courthouse in Miami. And the woman has a shotgun on her, well, the stock is on her uh, hip, and she's holding it up at an, at an ankle, and she's good looking. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, i got to use her. <laughs> no question about it. Or... Or when I met this, the guy named Raylan, I was in, uh, where was I, in Texas, uh, Amarillo, I think. And I was giving a talk at a luncheon, a, a, a book company that, uh, well, they, they don't, they're not a publishing company, but they provide the books to uh, bookstores and so on. And, uh, and, and I was introduced to the, this fellow who was going to introduce me, and he said, hi, I'm Raylan. I said, Raylan, God, I gotta use your name if you if it's okay. I said that's perfect, <laughs> and I've used it twice. Now, has have people come out of the woodworks claiming that they were the inspiration for some of your characters in the past? Um, I haven't heard it. No. Okay, <laughs> the the current crisis going on in Detroit, whether it's the government or that's money or the city declining, has that been inspiration for future work? No. Uh. Uh-uh. No, but I use Detroit because I know it. I've been here since the fourth grade. There's there's a lot of activity, but it's a but it's a big, robust, rowdy town, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and uh, I've always enjoyed it here. I I don't. Uh, it's it's fallen on bad times. There's no question about that. There, uh, the people who know how to make cars, they're still around, but they've moved out to suburbs. There, there are about 900,000 people living in Detroit, 
and uh, but all the suburbs are bustling, and uh, that's where they live. But I just heard today that it's going to get be tougher for uh, auto workers who don't have uh, necessary skills. That it's going to be different now uh, in man in uh, in the area of manufacturing. They're going to have to learn a new way of doing things. So I don't know. I suppose they will. You know what happened to all the blacksmiths? I'm sure they got a job uh, eventually. <laughs> if if you don't mind me asking, what part of town do you live on? I live out uh, in Bloomfield Village, which is of uh, let's see, 16 miles north of Detroit. Yes. Well, the the line, the Detroit line, is at eight mile, and we're at uh, we live just north of uh, 15 near 16 mile road. Well, well, going back a little bit, when what were some of the movies you watched growing up, and and did they have any inspiration to you when it became uh, when you wanted to be a writer? Yes, one in particular, um, All Quiet on the Western Front, and it was released in '31. I saw it; it kept coming back. Not, I mean, this was before television, but but I saw it uh, at least twice in movie theaters. And uh, I was inspired in the fifth grade to write a play. And that was 1935. And I wrote a, a World War I play where the Germans were on one side of the classroom and the Americans were on the other, and, and one of the Americans crawls under the desk, which is no man's land, <laughs> and gets caught and gets shot, and somebody has to go out and save him. I think it was the coward of the outfit who goes out and saves them. I'm not sure now. I wish I had that script. Uh, it'd be valuable. <laughs> but it, but uh, we put it on one one performance in the classroom, and uh, that was it. So uh, the, the, our our teacher, the sister who who was our homeroom, well, we were always in the same room, mm -hmm. and the mother superior of the school came and watched it, and that was it. That was that was the first thing I'd ever written, did, did, and I didn't write really anything else until uh, college. And then right after I got out of college, I started writing westerns because I, I saw a, a wonderful market for them, with especially pulp magazines and, and also Saturday Evening Post and Collier's. The, the bigger pay magazines were always running westerns. I finally did sell one to... Uh, the post, but I sold while I was working at an ad agency. I sold at least uh, thirty uh, short stories, and most of those were to the pulp magazines, dime western and ten story western, like that. They paid uh, two cents a word. Three ten to Yuma, I got ninety dollars for, but it was made into two movies. Correct. I still didn't make any money off them. <laughs> you mentioned uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Did that did the film inspire you to read the book? And were there other examples of that that you yeah. saw a movie and you wanted to read it? Well, it it was uh, I think in '35. It was it was in the Detroit Times. The whole I think the whole book mm -hmm. probably over several issues. You know, right? And I remember on the lying on the floor reading it in the in our living room. And thinking, God, this would be a good play. And I, I don't know why I thought of play. You know, it's probably the only time in my life I ever thought in that way about a, a play, because I certainly haven't thought about it lately. You never, you never wrote any more plays after that. No. Mm -mm. Did you ever see the film uh, Rushmore? 
That sounds familiar. Wes Anderson? Oh, yeah. There's, I'm, I'm not sure if I did, though. Well, there's a scene where it's set in a, in a private high school, and what, the lead character does uh, stage versions of movies, and one of the movies he stages is out of sight. Really? Yeah, he does the trunk. You see the trunk scene. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> you can add that to your rental list. You know, people, uh, directors who were thinking about doing that one, they said, God, that's a great scene. In the dark, and mm-hmm. one of them, the the one who finally did it, uh, summer summer Soderbergh, huh? Steven Soderbergh. Uh, yeah. Anyway, he said, "I'm going to do it. I want to do that scene, screen black." I said, "Why? You, I think you'll lose a lot of uh, of your audience." Well, he didn't do it that way, but there were so many different ways of doing it that uh, everybody liked that scene. Well, going back to uh, to movies you watched younger, was there was there ever a film that you read the book and then you saw the movie and you thought, what what in God's name did they do? Because it seemed like that happened to your to quite a bit of your work in the future. Yeah, it has. <laughs> um, no, I don't re- I don't recall looking at them that way. Okay. No, but I I wanted to write movies immediately because I thought because I wanted to make money. That was my whole idea. <laughs> getting into writing and, and developing a particular style that uh, I liked. Uh, and selling to the movies was had to be, and I did. I saw, it's 1953, I saw my first one, which was uh, 310 to Yuma. What happened? They called you and they offered and that was it? My agent, I had an agent, and, uh, and he called me. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And uh, what did you think of the film? Um... Uh, it was uh, oh it wasn't wait it wasn't three ten to Yuma I wrote it in fifty three but it didn't come out until fifty seven okay. yeah I noticed there were, there were two titles Moment of Vengeance and the Tall T I believe before three ten Moment of Vengeance was a TV thing that ah. I, well I, I that was in the Saturday Evening Post a short story mm-hmm. and then it was on the Slits Playhouse and it was it was okay you know wasn't anything special. But the 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 first one was the um, I think the first movie was the Big Bounce, and I, I remember saying to my agent, I said, "This is the second worst movie I ever saw," <laughs> and then they remade it just you know, like five years ago. Yeah, I remember. And and I said, "Well, now I know what the worst movie <laughs> is." They didn't they, they they didn't seem to know what they were doing. They shot it in Hawaii. It took place up in the thumb area of, of Michigan. I know within 310 to Yuma, and I know you also, uh, Ombre was later was later ma- made into a movie. Yeah, did about it, 67, I think it was. Did that, did that one fare any better for you? Oh, yeah. I liked Ombre a lot. Didn't get a very good review in Time Magazine or Newsweek, but uh, but I loved it. I thought it, was, it really worked. And I remember in the theater, everybody, in the end, uh, Newman is shot. At the end of the picture, and then the the, the end credits come on, and, no, and everybody just sat there because they didn't believe anybody would shoot Paul Newman or he would die in a movie, you know. And for that time, Newman was also one of the uh, you know the time honored tradition of the the white man playing Indians. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Now I read that uh, I think your your first screenplay credit was uh, Mo- the Moonshine War. Yeah. How right. was that experience, and, yeah, and how did it come about? It was about a guy who made whiskey in, in uh, Kentucky in '32. It was against the law, of course, and he kept it he kept it hidden 
and the moon and the revenuers are always looking for his his whiskey and finally uh i don't i don't really remember what the story was but uh uh it was a, it was not a good movie i just uh, i saw it a couple of times and that was it it seems like when you when you wrote a screenplay did you approach it any different than say writing one of your novels no i i approached it though as though i were adapting the novel I mean, I, I didn't look for any any other ways to do it, mm-hmm. uh, and seems they seemed to me always to uh, to make sense that, that that they would make good pictures. I remember I did one. God, I forgot what it was for uh, TriStar. The one that I I did for TriStar. I remember I went to I went to a meeting there, and these three guys were sitting at a at a table and looking at me and the guy in the middle said well all you did was turn the the book into into a screenplay i said yes that's what i did and he said well hell anybody can do that you know you you just uh use the the film uh way of writing instead of of, of prose this is where i saw that i mean i I hadn't thought of anything new and different to put in you know Mm -hmm. i didn't think it was necessary and uh, that's when I began to realize I should not be writing movies. <laughs> so finally, in '93, I I quit. Now I can't remember. Was was Mr. Majestic a novel first, and then a film, or was it the other way around? It was a screenplay first. Okay. And then I remember my agent saying, "You're going to have to add a lot of uh, a lot of descriptions to make this book like." I said, "No, you add a lot of dialogue. You add it." <laughs> going down up and down not across you know mm-hmm. so that that worked fine i'm still getting residuals for mr majestic what was that uh, that came out in 73 mm-hmm. so that's like you know 40 something years later if you don't mind me asking do are you getting a number of checks for different films i know or if not all of them well i'm always surprised when some one that's not very good uh <laughs> like uh <laughs> The Moonshine War. I'll mm-hmm. get, I'll get, you know, a hundred dollars or one hundred and twenty-three dollars for for that, or uh, one I did for Eastwood, Joe Kidd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll finally, I'll finally get a residual for that one, which was not a good movie at all. I listened to the director. What did he tell you? Well, he said you, this guy who is your bad guy. He said he's. I think he should be a good guy. He should be, well, once you get rid of your bad guy and he's going to turn out to be good, then who's the bad guy? Mm-hmm. You know, then I have to name somebody who worked for him. And it was it was, it was just too contrived. It, it seems like a, there, for a long, long time that directors didn't know what to do with the screenplay, or as you said, rewrote it themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah, directors do a lot of rewriting. Um, even though you get a credit, I think of, and, and say what you will about the film Stick, it, it did inspire me to start reading your novels. I will oh, give really? it I will give it that. Yeah, I um, I was a Burt Reynolds fan, and I saw the film, and then I read the, the really scathing reviews, and uh, I remember, what was it, Newsweek, I sa- uh, said that, that Burt Reynolds took an Elmore Leonard novel and turned it into a Mickey Spillane film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had some friends that said, "Look, if you you should really read his novel and check out what happened." And yeah. and I remember reading it, going, "How could you drop the ball on this?" Well, the, the first 
first thing he said was, Bert, he mm -hmm. said, I thought I'd l leave my hairpiece off for this one. I said, yeah, but what he meant was he would he would wear a much smaller hairpiece <laughs> that looked like he had just gotten a haircut or something. Uh huh. But he it was a it was a it was his kind of a picture. It was uh, he always made the scenes bigger than uh, they were in the book. If there's if there's there's a party at on a lawn party at someone's house where there were maybe six people there. Well, he 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 brought in a hundred people, and then he has boats passing in front of them with uh, all lit up. You know, he's he he's that old school of let's add more to it. If it's a movie, you know, that was a terrible movie. Did, did I hear you? Do you? Uh, I heard. I remember reading in an article once that you had the poster in your office and you uh, you changed the tagline from the film. Oh yeah. The only thing he couldn't stick to was the script. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you still have that? Uh, no, it was in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have? Do I dare I say that you have posters that uh, are no, in certain rooms? No, I don't rooms? have any in the house. Okay, I was saying. up. They say it sounds like the bathroom reflects the uh, the product. Yeah, my barber has about a half dozen of them on his walls. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have to that find that. Good too. And it seemed so. Finally, in the '90s, it seemed like you had a good streak with with Get Shorty, Jackie Brown, and Out of Sight. Do you, what do you think happened, or would people finally finally starting to appreciate your work? Well, it took me a long time to be discovered. I was writing for. Well, I started in the '50s, '60s, '70s. It wasn't until '85 that I hit the bestseller list, the Times list. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> And, and it was, and it was, a, and it was a New York Times review where I was discovered. The guy says, "Hey, this guy, I, I think he's writing better than uh, anybody I can think of." You know. But uh, I know Get Shorty, I think, was the first of them. Do you remember being approached uh, by Barry Sonnefeld to to have that film made? I heard that uh, uh, Travolta was going to be in it, mm -hmm. and I said to my agent, "I said, God." Don't sell it. Don't sell it. Because he was in Look Who's Talking. I thought, I don't think he's the guy for this one. But it turned out he was. He was He was good at it. Well, and he had, he had just come off of Pulp Fiction, and I remember reading, seeing interviews with Quentin Tarantino, who was uh, praising your, your work to, to everybody who would listen. Yeah. In fact, I remember, I think, in Rolling Stone magazine, the review started with, um, the fact that Quentin Tarantino, no, that Elmore Leonard was writing Pulp Fiction long before Quentin Tarantino ever uttered his first "fu." <laughs> yeah, he he was a big fan from the beginning. Did now? When did he start getting in touch with you about adapting Rum Punch? Uh, I only talked to him two or three times on the phone, and he told me that uh, that he was going to cast Robert. What was his name? Forster. Yeah. Forster. I said, Robert Forster, he hasn't been in a picture in 20 years. He was in that uh, something in Chicago during the convention. Oh, uh, medium, uh, medium, medium cool. Medium cool, yeah. right. <laughs> and he says, oh, no, he's good. Well, and he didn't tell me, though, that he was also um, casting Pam Greer. But I, I was whatever he wanted to do was okay with me because I've always liked his stuff. 
so yeah, you were a fan of Reservoir Dogs and, and Pulp oh, Fiction. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, it was, it's funny. I, I interviewed Fred Williamson many years ago, and he he worked with Forrester in many in many films. And and his uh, his joke complaint was he he had Forrester play that character for years, and then he works with some other director and gets a gets a nomination for it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and I think Tarantino's adaptation was probably the closest of any uh, of any of any picture that was made of mine. Why do you think that is? I don't know. He, <laughs> I, I suppose, uh, well, once he cast uh, Pam Greer, then he's on his way. He knows who the girl is, and she's the main character. Mm-hmm. So he's, it, it was the story. It was my story all the way. Is that your favorite of the, of the group, as if you have favorites? I think that might be. You get executive producer credits for some of these films, like, like Jackie Brown and Be Cool and Kill Shot and Justified. Is there any input, or did they just throw you that title? I think I was just given that, yeah. And I know I, I read on IMDb you have a, a production credit for uh, apparently pre-production for Freaky Deaky. Do you know anything of that? We haven't made it yet, have we? No, it says pre-production. Oh, pre-production. No, I don't know who, who's doing it. I, I'm not at my computer right now, but I can check later and tell you. But that's just something you, some you know, a piece of information I got off the internet. Yeah. <laughs> of all the films, what what actor captured one of your characters the best? Uh, I I suppose Travolta. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I was surprised because when I when I told my agent that God don't don't sell it to them, <laughs> then I found out that he was in. Uh, Pulp Fiction was just released then, and I got to see it, and I thought, "Oh my God, I'm glad he's in it, because he was perfect." I say, have you, have you, have there been any films that you've watched recently? I don't know how often you go to the movies. I was just curious. Well, I, I, I get them now. Okay. Uh, because uh, you know the, the Oscars, I get them all. D- did your votes win? I thought uh, the King's Speech uh, would win, or the. Uh, the other one was that Sorkin wrote. I like Sorkin's a lot. Mm-hmm. That was a, I thought that was a great script, and I thought it's between those two. Right. But I was happy with the King's Speech because I liked it a lot. Yeah, me, my, me too. I say, I, I actually, I have a Michigan question because you, you, uh, you set Kill Shot in Algonac, or part of it in Algonac. What, what brought that on? Oh uh, well, I don't know. I suppose just to do it, uh, set it locally. Um, Maybe I couldn't think of anywhere else. Um, I I only ask because I have friends that live there, and then they, and I gave I remember giving them a copy of the of the book as a gift, and uh, they they were they were quite tickled. Oh, <laughs> were you? Did you like that film version at all? Oh, it was I I thought it was it was disappointing to me that that they didn't end it the way the book ends, mm-hmm. where she shoots the guy. You know, leaves it up to her husband because he was kind of—he didn't have much of a part in it at all. And the fact that they were breaking up at one point, uh, I didn't—I thought it was just thrown in for, for plot, because, in the book, they—they they are in love with each other, mm-hmm. seriously, and they'll get—they'll get into fights, into arguments, but it's over in a moment, you know. And I remember when you spoke at Butler that um, was the the ending for the second three ten to Yuma changed at the last minute. I don't know. I think it 
because the writers, I did speak to the writers, and they, they were here doing another one. They said, we didn't understand it, but the director wanted, uh, who was the guy, who was the head hero? Russell Crowe? Christian yeah, Bale? Russell okay. Crowe. They wanted him to shoot his own guys and then get on the train. And uh, they just, so they wrote it that way. And uh, it didn't make any sense to me, nor it did to them. But they did it. I don't know what it meant. If you don't mind me asking, how far are you into your new project? I'm on page 272. You just write until until it ends? Yeah, I don't know how it ends yet, but <laughs> I want because <laughs> I want to end it in about 30 or 40 pages. Okay. So I've got to think about how to end it. it what's the earliest you've ever written something and you knew how it was going to end? Uh, it was uh, Valdez's coming. Really? Yeah, because I knew that one. I, I I thought of it, and I and I I remember calling my agent in Hollywood and saying, "I've got a uh, I've got one for," and uh, let's see who was it going to be? I forgot the direct the uh, producer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, "I can write. I can. You get a producer in the office, and I'll sell it to him in ten minutes." And he said, "Kiddo, write your book." <laughs> But I did it in about uh, seven weeks, seven or eight weeks, which is the fastest I've ever written a book. And did you envision Burt Lancaster? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You did? Yeah. Because he, he had a couple of interesting westerns at that time as well. There was also Lawman and Olzana's Raid, and I thought they were pretty dark westerns for that time. Yeah, especially Olzana's Raid, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some people have written and some people have rumored that, that the shorty and Get Shorty was inspired by Dustin Hoffman. Do you know if that's true? Well, no, it's no, but he was up for playing the part. At I one see. Time. And I said, I said, the guy isn't that short. <laughs> because he, Get Shorty was just get this guy who was, who was a popular star, you mm-hmm. know, that's all. And, and a lot of them are short. <laughs> so, and that's why. Well, I'm five five. They seem okay to me. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but get, um, I don't know. Uh, get shorty just sort of came along as a as a title. Okay. And I didn't really, I didn't start with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Because then when they got to Travolta, well, who's who's uh, who's get shorty? Well, then at the very end, the 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 woman production uh, worker says. They're all short. You shoot up. <laughs> Back in the days when you we, you also put them on a box in a kissing scene. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just remember reading a long time ago, I think for a brief period, that Hoffman was linked to a film version of La Brava, which, which never happened. Yeah, we spent a year with him. Oh. Yeah, we, and with him and with directors. Scorsese was the first one, and then Ulu Grossbard, <laughs> and then different... There are a couple of others, and we would, uh, Walter Marish, who was going to produce it, he and I would go to New York and just sit and wait for the meeting to to have a meeting, and then Dustin would come over and we'd talk about it, and then he said, no, I, then he would change the, the storyline. Well, where's my girlfriend? I, don't, I have to have a girlfriend in this, you know, things like that. Did he also order off the menu? Always did that, Yeah. <laughs> That's where I got that. I, I would say that that captured a lot of uh, business deals. It seems like. 
<laughs> yeah, and they also don't know their uh, zip code or, <laughs> or their phone number if they're <laughs> staying somewhere else. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I say if you're if you're ever channel surfing and and one of the, one of the films based on your books come on, do you watch it or it depends on how good or how bad it is? Well, no, I don't necessarily watch it. No. Okay. Uh-uh. Well, it seems like uh, especially especially with your body of work, there's always a lot of what could have been, especially with the body of work that you've put out over the years. Well, we're still at it. We're still trying to sell them because there are a bunch of them that we that we like that we think it would make very good movies and. You know, nothing's happening because, but but the studios just aren't as active as they used to be. That's the trouble. But uh, we've we've got some that I I think uh, swag. We've got a script for swag. Then Sparks, which was a short film. Mm-hmm. Sparks is uh, is is now being written for FX. They're gonna try that one. Cuba Libre. Cuba Libre, I think we've got to sell that one. Cause that's that's a that's a big that's a big picture. The Hot Kid, Tishomingo Blues would be a good movie. Well, so, there's there's always possibilities. Oh yeah, always. I say, are you familiar with a, a website called The Onion? Uh, no. It's well, it's a it's a satirical newspaper, but their entertainment section they do real writing. I mean, the the news the news articles are jokes, but they actually have a serious. Um, um, entertainment section, and every week they have a, a column called Gateways to Geekery. And what they do is they pick out like a 101 course on how to start with a particular filmmaker or a particular writer or a particular musician. And last week you were the subject. Hmm. And uh, they, they recommended Out of Sight as, the good, as, as a good first step into checking out your body of work. Hmm. Yeah. So... Good things are good things are written about you on the internet. <laughs> well, I, I see the newspaper. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was on the internet because I don't have a computer. You don't write on a computer? No, I write in longhand. Yellow pads and then typewriter. It's the, it's an unlined yellow pads that I have made. They're eight and a half by eleven, unlined yellow, and uh, I've been I've been using them ever since uh, I was with an ad agency who where we use these kinds of pads. So I, I order them, uh, I order, let's see, uh, 63 pages mm-hmm. to the pad, and then I get 100 pads. How, how long would that last? A year. No, not 150. 50, okay. 50 pads. Uh, you can make a commercial with those and get an underwriting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your own but brand I, I of go, pads. I go through a lot of pages, you know, because it, it takes me anywhere from three to three to sometimes five just to get one clean page. Because <laughs> I'm not sure what the scene is, you know, until sure. I get into it. And, but I've been doing it for 60 years, and I have a good time. So If it ain't broke. Yeah, right. <laughs> From 2011, my classic interview with the great, late great writer, Elmore Leonard. Thank you, Dutch. Silent Breed is people! Zardoz has spoken. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. 
Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan. Thank you.